Let me bring in Rory alongside you, Rory. I'm sure this isn't your, I'm sure this isn't your fifth World Cup, Rory. But, and uh, what expectations do you have for Scotland? Can they make the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, perhaps? I think probably of all the home nations, Scotland have got the best chance of making a semi-final because they could potentially get Argentina in the quarters. Who we would fancy that more than taking on France or any of the the bigger Southern Hemisphere nations. I think. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast 10th Anniversary Special, where we'll be looking back over the past 10 years of the blog, reminiscing about the highs and lows of Scottish rugby, but knowing us mainly the lows. I'm Cammy Black, and I'm joined by co-founders of the blog, Al Kerr. Hello. And Rory Baldwin. Hello. Uh, right, lads, you came up with the idea for the blog in a Parisian bar after Scotland crashed out of the 2007 World Cup to Argentina. Uh, so what was it about that game that made you think, I know I'd love to spend my spare time writing about how miserable it is to be a Scotland supporter? I don't I don't think we thought about that at the time because we'd had too much beer. But um, yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was quite, it was it was 2007, so it was quite early in the, uh, the sort of the internet infancy. There weren't, other than the mainstream, uh, the newspapers and things, there weren't uh, websites out there. Really, I mean, there were forums and things, but you had to hunt quite hard to find them. So I'd, I'd kind of thought that there should be something like that. And uh, I think probably the, the quality of the ranting that was going on as we stumbled along the, the streets of Paris, we thought, yeah, well, somebody might listen to this sort of this nonsense. I think um, legend has it that it was it was a conversation about making Dan Parks the captain because he'd, be, he'd, he'd been the only one that had sort of come out with any credit from that. Uh, from that World Cup campaign, although um, I did find that I was looking through some of the old articles earlier, and I did find a, a comment from myself where I'd or not a comment, but a bit in an article about the Calcutta Cup in two thousand and eight, where I'd said this blog was to a certain extent founded on the principles of of a drop Jason White and Simon Taylor until they deserve their places in the team once again type conversation. Um, so we must have been ranting about uh, players not being picked on form. Which, to be honest, was something that probably dogged Scotland for more than a, more than uh, more of the ten years than not. Yeah, see, yeah. Rory, my recollection was this was wholly based on the power of Dan Park's ass pat um, and his high proficiency, uh, the old ass pat that was displayed in twenty uh, two thousand and seven. Pretty sure that was the genus of the rant that led to where we are now. <laughs> You you say as much, I think, Al, in the, uh, it's the 2008 preview of the Six Nations, you said, I have a fuzzy memory of making a commitment to write regularly and passionately about all things rugby related and also to produce a tour de force argument vault, vaunting the merits of Dan Parks. Um, but I couldn't find that article. Do you want to, now this could be a chance, do you want to go ahead and, and do that now? Well, if memory, <laughs> so if memory serves me correct, though, Jason White, captain does into that World Cup and uh, I think on that night in Paris um, we probably didn't see the leadership that we needed but Dan Parks was furiously running around patting backsides left, right, centre and all over the place uh, to try and G people up and I'm pretty sure by this point we'd been drinking for, it was a 9 o'clock kickoff, I think so a 
probably the best part of 12 hours. And at that time, and maybe for several weeks afterwards, Dan Park seemed like an absolute prime captain because we knew we weren't very good, but I'd like to have had a captain that was um, at least enthusiastic. And I think Dan Parks was many things and, and enthusiastic, probably top amongst them. Yeah, it actually took you till his retirement to actually write that article. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you know, good things come to those who wait, obviously. <laughs> Um, and what's, uh, say, Rory, what's your abiding memory of the 2007 World Cup? Um, having, uh, well, I mean, it, it was it, the, probably the first, uh, before the blog was founded, there was a there was a little bit of punditry when we were in a, we were in a pub uh, in Saint-Étienne called Le Glasgow and uh, Andrew Cotter made the mistake of getting me to appear on the radio. Um, sort of, he was doing, <laughs> he was doing like a live broadcast and he needed someone to, uh, to represent the sort of the the young fans he had an old guy who was on like his fifth or sixth world cup tour and i was on that was our first one that we'd been to so um i think david david ferguson who was writing for the scotsman at the time was there as well and uh after that um appearance on the radio the there was then a very large amount of beer drunk and this was the night before the game so when the scotland italy game in sanity and rolled around i was extremely hungover and slightly fearful of basically existence itself and uh the the end of that game where we were basically relying on an Italian to miss a goal kick, which you know is is not too lofty a name really. Um, but that that whether or not he missed that kick was basically going to decide whether or not the rest of our holiday was any good. Um, because if he missed and we'd gone out, we would have had a trip booked to Paris with no sort of reason to go to Paris. And uh, yeah, it would, so that that. Uh, that game became uh, became about more than sport for for the last sort of ten minutes of that, and certainly waiting for that kick to go over was probably as as tense as I've ever been at a rugby game. And, and what about you? Al? What's your abiding memory of that World Cup? Oh, crikey! That, that I mean, that was that was a legendary tour. That one. I mean, Rory's already covered off the night before the Italy game. There was the night after the Italy game, where the Scotland team came in to Saint Etienne afterwards. Um, I remember Mossy, uh, Chris Patterson, very kindly going off to a French policeman because obviously he doesn't drink, whereas um, the two and a half thousand people around him were very much drinking. Uh, he went off to a French <laughs> policeman to to get a pen to go and sign autographs, etc. I remember Frank Haddon in a state of disrepair wandering down the street at about two in the morning. Um, <laughs> there was Rory getting altitude sickness up on Mont Blanc and Chamonix. <laughs> there was... Um, and then even just around the Argentina and being in, um, we were in the old alliance in Paris uh, prior to that game. But the night before, it will stick in my mind because it was the night that France knocked out uh, New Zealand in the quarterfinal that year. And I think I think it was New Zealand they knocked out Rory, wasn't mm, it? Yeah. And it was uh, we were in. Um, there's a street uh, I can't remember if left me. It's called Paris, but it's got like the Eden Park Bar, and it was where everyone was watching the rugby. And you pretty much had to get sort of crowd surf your way out of the street and I just remember all the cars going past with all the horns going it was it was a good night uh, to be in Paris um, certainly it was a good 24 hours up until about five minutes before Scotland and uh, I think it was them off killed our hopes in that particular um, quarter final yeah you, I mean your memories are a lot more positive than mine because when, when I look back on this the only thing I could remember was Craig Smith being carried about 10 metres to just shy the trial line by Luke McAllister in the um that game where Frank Haddon chose 
a second string Scotland side. Ah, the grey blacks. What they were. <laughs> yes, the grey blacks as they were. Um, so yeah, um, I, I guess it's quite nice to have these memories of a tour um, that maybe sort of soften the soften the anguish. Yeah, I think uh, I would recommend it if you haven't if you haven't uh, gone even gone on an away game following you know Glasgow or Edinburgh or somebody. Um, it's it's a great thing to do, and and it certainly does. Um, if you if you have a good time, then it, it kind of takes away from the pain of your team loses, which you know over the last ten years. No, I was just going to say absolutely. I mean, Rory and I have been lucky enough to have done a you know a couple of tours. We, we did New Zealand as well, and 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 both those World Cups. You know, the performances weren't exactly great, but performances off the park were um, pretty legendary, to be honest with you. So, you know, you make your own memories as well as what happens on the park, to be honest. But it's the small things, you know, Rory's sitting there saying about the last five minutes of that game against Italy, and it was Troncon, I think, that had the kick, and he'd been pretty good form that World Cup, and I think that was actually his last game for Italy um, that night uh, in St Etienne. But, I mean, that five minutes, probably like Rory, will live with us, you know, way into my dotage. Um, it may well have knocked off a few years of my dotage as a consequence, Mike. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier Frank Haddenal, and in an early article you referred to him as Frank Boz Haddon, and it's a nickname that didn't really stick. <laughs> uh, where did where did that come from? Uh, anger, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's probably some deep, dark recess of my soul, I suspect, is where it came from. Yeah, he was an infuriating guy. I mean, you look back, though, I mean, in hindsight, you know, that... <sighs> They did what they did. You know, he was vindicated, to use a word Rory might remember from 2007. Um, he was vindicated in terms of his choices around that World Cup. You know, he was castigated for the New Zealand and putting out, you know, a, you know, a dirt tracker side in that game. But ultimately, he got us out of the group. That was his job. You know, getting to the quarterfinal, I think, was about as good as we were realistically expecting to get. The fact that we then got Argentina, who were probably then just on the start of their upturn rather than, you know, maybe when we met them in 2011. That does feel like a missed opportunity, but yeah, I think Haddon kind of shot his level with the players he had at the time. I think he was maybe, you always, you know, you always have high aspirations for them, don't you? Regardless of who's in charge and you hold them to that maybe fairly or unfairly. I was going through the squad for that World Cup and I was Surprised to see that John Barkley was in there because I couldn't remember him playing at the time. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think Ross Ford's there as well, and I'm pretty sure I gave him a six, um, just generally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, um, the other thing, Rory, I think one of your early articles um, is the 2008 Six Nations preview, and you confidently predicted that, that this would be the end of the era of moral victories and the era of nearly is over. Um, <laughs> and it's only taken 10 years, but maybe we're nearly there. Yeah, I would say, I, I would say definitely, definitely this year. I mean, I would say, I would say last year there, um, there, were, there were no moral victories. There were actual victories or just humiliations. So, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely out of that year now. But it, that, it sort of shows the, the kind of hope you live in as a, as a Scotland fan is every, every year you're about to turn the corner. And I think we were probably, we saw, we probably saw enough in, the, in 2007 to think, yeah, this would be a good team. Let's, you know, this would be worth following and, and seeing, seeing what happens and writing about it. And, uh, you know, it, it took us a while. It, there's, there's not too many. Not too many of those of those names uh, 
still on the go. But uh, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's one of it's one of the last time two Berwick players were involved with Scotland, and it's you know it's not for me to say that's why they struggled after that. I'm sure that <laughs> history, but um, it, it, it's uh, what for you Al, has been the sort of main changes. Do you think you've seen in in Scotland, um, say 2007 compared to now? I, th- I think the final, I mean, this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone, but I think it's the finally managed to get their arms around professionalism. You know, I mean, the club game, the, the, the SRU, prob- you know, and I, I think I probably wrote many articles back, you know, around the, the turn of the decade, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, sort of period, you know, castigating the SRU and their, their haplessness. But I actually think from probably from post the 2011 World Cup, they've got their act together. And you think you can start to see that coming through in the club game, certainly coming through in the pro game. You know, there are certain points that you can see where there's been things ticked off. You know, uh, Edinburgh getting to the semi-final of the European Cup, you know, what was it, 2012-2013, I think was, you know, a bit of a step forward, albeit they weren't able to sustain it. Glasgow's, you know, you know, huge improvement over the last five or six years has really formed a big basis. And, I, you know, I think there's a confidence that's come from, certainly from the Glasgow setup that I think you see flowing through. And, and it, 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 we're about 10 years behind where Ireland were. If you think where Ireland went through, and, you know, rugby wasn't a huge game in Ireland until, you know, they, they really grabbed professionalism and then the likes of Leinster and Munster really managed to build up, uh, you know, crowds and managed to build up uh, a pool of players that were able to then feed into that national side. And you can see that coming, particularly from Glasgow, who have got good crowds, got good number of players coming through. And, and there is a little bit of a conveyor belt and there is depth, you know, for the first time we were saying that at the last Six Nations, there is an element of depth coming through. And I think, we, you know, we can see that going forward. So it, it's just that getting their crap together really you know they, 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 they sat on their hands for the first 10 years of professionalism and it is refreshing to see and it's 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 positive you just have to hope that they can keep moving things forward uh, in the way that they have done say over the last particularly four or five years and and Rory uh, for you what what's been your highlight while working on the blog um it's it's tricky, it's tricky to say. I mean, I noticed that we were asking a few a few of the people on, on Twitter earlier what, what theirs were, and there was a lot from recent years, and we were having to cast our minds back to find find games. I mean, for a, a large portion of them, they uh, you know they came in they came in very small. That would be one that was up there for a lot of people. That was an away win. Um, that was another Dan Parks sort of classic day. Um, maybe his his swan song. But um, for me, the highlight is is finally starting to see Scotland not uh, not sort of bottle it in the twenty two. Um, looking back through some of the old reports, it, there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk about them getting you know throwing the ball about side to side and, and looking good, but never really getting anywhere. And I think uh, finally we're starting to see Scotland teams with a bit of direction to them. And uh, it's it's been a pleasure to see them actually kind of playing some rugby, um, and that I think probably has been the last the last couple of years. I would say that finally the emergence of some some genuinely world class backs, probably as a as a back watcher, um, that would be that would be for me the, the highlight. Uh, and Al, you what what's sort of your been your highlight over the last ten years? Uh, I mean, I, I think I've already mentioned 
earlier on, the, and it was maybe just it was a bit of a the first sort of sign of light. But the, the Edinburgh performance against Toulouse in that um, as the quarterfinal of the, the the European Cup. I mean, that was a Toulouse side that was riddled. Um, you know, with absolute world-class players. I, I, I remember being in the lift and having a, a just an absolute ridiculous man crush on uh, Terry Dusitois, who was just, who at that point was the best player in the world by, you know, a, a country mile. But, you know, Edinburgh bossed them that day. I mean, and, and uh, Zagui Nubes, you know, he, he was completely perplexed. I remember him banging furiously on the, you know, the perspex glass, uh, glass uh, of the, the coach's box behind us. And I just, to me, that was the first time I could remember seeing a Scottish side and taking away from the national side where we've had good, but, you know, sometimes fortuitous wins over the likes of South Africa or Australia, but seeing them going out, a game they shouldn't have really been in. This was, a, you know, an all-conquering Toulouse side and bossing them. And... I think there was an element of confidence that came from that. So to me, that that was the start, I think, of the upturn. So I like to think of that probably as, as the bit that stands out for me. I think, I mean, you mentioned there the Perspex box at Murrayfield. And for me, that's been one of the standout performers of the last 10 years. I mean, the, the punishment that it took under the Andy Robinson reign um, was was something rotten. And then I think, was it Vern Cotter who, who actually smashed it in the end? It, Possibly, I think I may have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't remember it too, too much extreme violence. I think Andy Andy Robinson probably gave it the hardest time. Yeah, understand. Well, I, you wonder whether or not that was that down to Andy Robinson, or do you think that was down to the players he had at the time? <laughs> well, yeah, he was an angry man, though. In fairness, yeah, you know, you could have been, you could have been managing the All Blacks, and I reckon the Perspex would have been getting a hammering anyway. Well, I, I wonder what um, Scotland did for his eyes because when when you look at the pictures of when he's announced as Scotland coach compared to what he looks like now, we've done terrible things for his sight because his eyes have got actually got smaller. <laughs> Maybe it was all the bleeding from the eyes that did it. I think my my eyes certainly bled at times during his reign as Scotland coach. I, I, I think Rory, you were in Pataudry for the his denouement. Uh, yeah, I've got Tonga. I took I took a photo. I've got a photo of him and him and Kelly Brown at the press conference. I just thought I'm sitting in the front row. I took a photo. I didn't realise that that was going to be probably you know that was his last appearance as a as Scotland coach. I just remember being furious after that game. It's the one time I think I've actually been furious after a Scotland game. Um, yeah, it just because it, it it just seemed to um, I don't know. It just it, things seemed to have built to, to to that point in Scotland seemed to be building, but then it really felt like um, Robinson really had come to the end of his time. And then then of course we've got Scott Johnson. <laughs> I have to yeah. say, Cameron, I have to say, Cameron. Though I, I'm very impressed. I mean, I, I spent probably between 2007 and 2000. And 17 about furious at the end of about 75 percent of scotland matches so i'm amazed at your uh your calmness to be honest with you well i think it's different <laughs> what it was was i I'm, i was always accepting at the end of scotland games even when we lost and i think during the last that sort of past 10 year period of of just getting to the end of them and, and being able to shrug the shoulders and think oh well that's that's the way it goes we're, we're maybe not that good but the Tonga game, I think, was the first game where I watched it and thought we should be, we should have won this, and there is there really was no excuse for for having not win it. We we just didn't want to win it as much as the Tongans, 
Whereas in other games, you can shrug your shoulder and go, ah, well, we're just Scotland, that's the way things go. I'm not sure I feel that way now, um, given how much we've improved, as my sort of zero out of ten ratings in the Calcutta Cup showed. Um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, what what do you think... I mean, I think Tonga's probably my low in the last ten years. Rory, what, what's your low point, do you think? Hmm. Uh Probably um, some of the, the sort of the poor performances in, I think in in twenty eleven at the World Cup, some of them weren't weren't that that great. But I mean, in terms of lows, I think actually uh, probably the Calcutta Cup this year was actually a bit of a it was a bit of a crusher because there was because there was that hope uh, around how the team you know the team were playing well and we thought maybe they were gonna they were gonna at least put up a sort of a challenge and I think the way that they were kind of thoroughly dismantled was was a bit uh, a bit dispiriting which is interesting really because if you think about it it was quite similar last season in Europe when uh, Glasgow went down to Saracens with, with high hopes and they were pretty clinically dismantled as well but everyone thought that was you know that was great because Glasgow got got into the knockouts and they'd taken a big travelling support and that was seen as a positive thing but yeah the Calcutta Cup that was a um, that was a, a pretty pretty big low. I can rem- I mean I can remember a few um, a few losses against South Africa and things like that that, that were were pretty pretty depressing because there were games that I think with the, with the games against the big teams the South Africas and the New Zealands if, if we if we got anywhere close to them and then still lost that you know those games where Scotland used to drop off in the last sort of 20 10, 10 even five five minutes. Um, those were probably quite hard to take because um, it made you realise that there's still there was still a fair bit to go in terms of getting the the bench depth and the um, you know the, the quality of the starting fifteen right. Yeah, I mean, I just I think um, one of my highs actually was the game against the All Blacks where I think it was one of was it Tim Viss's first game at Murrayfield? I think he'd done one game in, on tour. Um, yeah. Where where we ran tries in past the All Blacks, and I was I was out in Leeds watching the game with a friend who isn't into rugby, who could not understand why I was so excited about the fact we yeah. lost the game of rugby. Um, but yeah, I ended up in the um, middle of a beer, a German beer tent in Leeds, singing simply the best. Um, <laughs> to just much to the amusement of the people who are with you, you lost that game. I was like, we scored like three tries. It's you know unheard of. Um, Al, what's your low point? Do you think? I so last ten years. I mean, there are a number. I mean, Rory touched on two thousand eleven, and it wasn't really the Scotland England game there because actually we played really well. Um, it was the, if my memory serves me correct, it was the Scotland the Argentina game was was pretty horrible in Wellington. Um, but I'm going to actually go way way back. And this is, it's probably actually pre-blog, but it is within the decade. So it was 2007, and it was the 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 um, the birth of world class Phil, Phil Coleman, <laughs> Scotland, Italy at um, at Murrayfield, where world class Phil managed to, I think, throw two intercepts and a charge down within the first five to ten minutes. It, and it was the only time, and I really like this top, so I've never forgiven him. It was the only time he wore, I think, the white away top with the yellow flashes down the side. And I loved that top, but oh, it was awful. And I've never—I was in the Haymarket Bar in Edinburgh, and I have never been so 
livid in my life. I, I think I may have actually left the pub at halftime in, in sheer disgust. Um, but yeah, so I, I my low point was at the very start. So it's been a very long, slow, but steady climb <laughs> ever since. And, and Roy, did you manage to dig out any... Uh, did you say you'd found a souvenir... Uh, program from 2007. I've got the uh, I've got the Rugby World Cup yearbook from 2007, which uh, somebody gave me for Christmas. I think probably because I'd, I'd been over in France at the at the tournament. Was any 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 um, highlights from that? Um, mostly the sort of thing that Scottish rugby fans uh, come to expect, which is not really that much chat about Scotland and mostly dismissive of probably what we thought were uh, Hercu- Herculean efforts, but. Uh, on the grand on the grand scheme of things, uh, they did, they didn't have that much bearing on the tournament, really. Yeah, I think I, I, one thing I went back was looked at the match report of the Argentina game in the Guardian, in which um, Gavin Kerr is called Gavin Kerry, and Craig Smith is down as uh, coming on for um, Ross Ford at hooker. Um, so I don't know how they, who they had at the stadium that day, but I think he probably enjoyed a bit too much of the uh, French hospitality. Um, Gareth Black, maybe. Maybe Gareth Black, yes, that mysterious writer from the Scotsman. Anything else in terms of the your, your memories of covering the games, uh, Rory? Any sort of highlights from actually time sort of going in, going to Murrayfield and covering games? Um, I don't know. I, mean, I suppose the, the, obviously the highlight would be I, I don't really remember it, but the highlight was the first time we managed to actually get you know get into a game um, as as members of the members of the media. I wouldn't wouldn't say we were quite gentlemen of the press, but uh, yeah, just you know, to, for the for the writing to to pay off and, and actually get us in, you know, that was obviously that felt like quite a quite a nice reward for the hard work. But um, yeah, I mean, getting a chance to to shake Vern Carter's hand after he after his, after he, I left and just said that you know thanks to him that 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 was quite good for me. That almost felt like sort of it was you know it was the end end of a journey almost because the you know, he he did did so much to kind of restore the, the credibility, and that that felt quite quite good. Um, we've got a few uh, highlights from Twitter. Uh, we'll put a shout out tonight just to see if um, any readers or listeners had any uh, memories. Um, there's a couple of shout outs for um, Duncan Weir's drop goal in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, good shout. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, chunking his speedos at Dunbar Pool last year. That's a <laughs> <laughs> niche, niche. Yeah, um, that's almost a where's Doogie Donnelly. It is. It doesn't doesn't quite count because he doesn't do media work. But yeah, that's a good shout. Um, who did that? That was from uh, Alan Turner. Um, so thanks for that. That's pretty special. Um, uh, Glasgow's Pro Twelve win. Um, we we sort of touched on it. I mean that that probably is one of the highlights. I think of the last ten years, isn't it, Al? Hi. Oh, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly. I mean, if you think we're Scottish, you know, club rugby had been, you know, even up until about three, four years before that, it was a bit of a shambles. And the idea of them actually, you know, winning and and, and coming through, and, and in the way that they did, you know, they had, if memory serves me correct, you know, they, a pretty epic semi-final, and then it was against Ulster, uh, and then it was obviously Munster in the final, and I think it absolutely beasted them. Um, I just think they'd been showing signs but actually delivering through it was I think it was probably the first time in my lifetime supporting Scottish rugby certainly as an adult you know going you know the last sort of 15 years or so to see a Scottish side go out and 
just comprehensively do their job so well in, in such a big occasion. And I think that a lot of the players have, have picked up the, you know, the confidence off of the back of that. And, and the fact is that they're now continuing. You know, they've followed up in that whilst they've not won. They have followed up by being, you know, they're contenders every year. Last year being a bit of a blip. But, you know, the other years, they have been contenders. And uh, they look like they're going to do the kicking on yet again. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's got to be in the top three <laughs> sort of moments for Scottish rugby in the last in the last decade, I would suggest. Um, Rory, Al's mentioned there about Glasgow kicking on, and Embra have sort of flirted with Europe, I think, a couple of times in the last 10 years in terms of success, um, or certainly, you know, um, I think they got through, you know, getting, getting through the final and, and that, like that game against Toulouse that we are talking about earlier. But they've not really been able to sort of maintain it in the same way as... Glasgow, and I know we could probably dedicate an entire episode to this, but do you think there's any one reason behind that? Is it that Glasgow have got a better coaching setup? Is it infrastructure? Is it players? What What do you think? I think. I mean, I think it probably started with the uh, probably started with the culture that they put in. I mean, which, which ironically came from Al Kellogg, who'd been playing for for Edinburgh. Um, but I think around the time when R. Kellick and Sean Lanine kind of built the culture of that club, and that's been the foundation, which has allowed the, which has built the team, which has made a team that is able to play for each other and the wins, which has built the fans and you know the ability to 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 bring in the cash, and uh, I think that that all sort of it, it all follows on from from one thing to the other. Um, it's I mean it's interesting you said that you couldn't have possibly have. Uh, planned it any better but I actually was having a look through the comments and the first first comment on the blog came from uh, came from Al um, back when it was just the two of us talking to each other through the blog well hang on wait um, wait, his, wait before you go on let me just do something hang on I need to find the I need to find the jingle if we're going to move on to this two seconds comment of the week go ahead carry on okay um, so yeah Al's first first ever comment was um the, uh, he, he was having a rant about Edinburgh. Um, he was having a rant about the prices. Um, season ticket prices were okay. Price of a uh, single game ticket, considering the quality on show, is shocking. Um, I would go a lot more if I wasn't being asked to shell out a bloody fortune to go to a single game. Um, he also had some beef with the management. I mean, this was just after, I think, they'd had that thing with the Carruthers brothers and the whole Stephen Larkin signing and then not signing him and all that sort of, um, all that sort of excitement. Um, Edinburgh is a mess, and I'm not inclined to give my money to the club while it's still a mess. And you know that was that was 2007, just. And you know, for I think for a lot of people in Edinburgh, maybe not too much has changed since then. Um, a lack of professionalism is killing the Gunners. I mean, I think they are a professional organisation now, but um, they they still have sort of they still have problems with the culture, and 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 that's what I think Richard Cockrell's identified and is trying to fix. Well, yeah. You look at what happened but, to. Uh, well, you look at what happened to Magnus Bradbury the other day, and you wonder if they've now got too much culture. Yeah, <laughs> he must. He must, He maybe was. He was. Um, yeah, maybe he was looking at the architecture when he tripped. <laughs> but it's a lovely place, uh, Edinburgh. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> when lying on your back. Um, I think the cockerels probably. You know, I think cockerels is the first time I. You get the impression they've got their. their their choices right at the top of the tree you know for a good period of time now you know they've flitted between coaches and there's been very little stability 
Edinburgh and a very little sense of plan and direction. And you know, you compare that to Glasgow, and Glasgow's you know for the last four or five years feels very much that they have a direction, a plan. They 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 know where they are trying to get to and what they are trying to achieve. Whereas Edinburgh feel like they have been spent the best part of the last decade going through the motions. I'll bet there have been some high points in there. Um, but you do think Cockrell coming in, he needs to be given, you know, the next year, two years even, to actually turn that club around. Because it is, I know Rory saying it's a professional organisation, and it is, and they're getting their house in order. But at a playing level, it is still not far away from being a shambles. And, you know, that needs Cockrell to be given time and resources to structure that club how he sees fit. I think they will reap the benefits from that, but they need a period of stability because um, it's not something that's been evident since the blog, since that post was written, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I'd, yeah, I'd pick that out uh, as one of the um, comments as well, partly because it was the first proper comment. The first comment, do you know what the first comment actually was? Yeah, I, I saw it earlier. It's something like, hello, this is a test comment. This is, this is a test comment, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the worry I think I've got about Richard Cockrell is whether or not, I, I don't think it's so much that um, he won't be given the time, it's whether or not he will give it the time if he doesn't get the resources or he doesn't feel like he's getting the buy-in from the players and a better offer comes along. Uh, that would be the worry that uh, he might walk. But I think you could say the same about Dave Rennie at Glasgow. If Dave Rennie came in there and didn't feel like he was being given the resources or the players weren't buying into it, he doesn't strike me as the sort of person that would need to stick around and, and you know push too hard. I mean, uh, that's evidently not the case. But yeah, I think quality coaches, and I, you know, I know Cockrell's time at Leicester didn't finish particularly great, but you know, he has a proven track record of success and, you know, what he built up at Leicester over a number of years. Um, somebody of that uh, standing, I think they deserve to be backed and they deserve to have the backing of the players. You, you don't have the success that these sorts of people have, Dave Rennie likewise, without having something. And it, this is where the responsibility falls upon, you know, the, the playing and support staff around these individuals to, to give them the support to enable them to do their work. And I think, again, Glasgow seem to allow their coaches and, and support their coaches to do that. And Edinburgh need to, to do likewise. Um, I mean, if you were at the SRU and you're writing down your 10-year corporate plan and we're looking 10 years ahead, what what would constitute success for Edinburgh and Glasgow, do you think, in 10 years' time, Rory, if we're sitting here celebrating 20 years of the blog? Um. I'd say you'd have to you'd have to say a European European win, winning a European tournament within ten years. I would say that sh- that would probably be a minimum. I would say Edinburgh will probably you would expect you would be hoping, uh, maybe not expecting, but you would be hoping that they would at least make a, a Pro Twelve a Pro Fourteen final um, in in that ten years or Pro Sixteen. As it might be by that Pro sixteen, yeah. I mean, it could be. Who knows? I mean, maybe maybe Edinburgh. It'll be a Super Six. Will Edinburgh and Glasgow go back to playing the playing the Borders in the the Super Six and Melrose? Um, so maybe we'll be after the Pro Six Pro Seventeen implodes. Um, so yeah, winning one one or other of those tournaments. Um. Do you know what the first proper comment was that we got from somebody that wasn't either one of you? 
No, but I suspect it might have been a guy called Johnny. It was Johnny who seemed to be the the only the only commenter um, for for a while, probably for for six months or so. He was last seen in 2013. So if you're out there, Johnny, come back. You'll find that there's loads loads more people to to speak to now. <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you what the comment was. Uh, it's uh, it was an article that. Um Al wrote, I think, was it? Uh, yeah, it was your preview, Al, of um, the France game in 2008. Uh, and Johnny said, I'm with Rory. I think, Rory, you'd left a comment um, having a go at Al's selection for that game. He said, uh, Lawson deserves a slot in the 22. There's a reason why Gloucester are number one in the Guinness Premiership. Uh, that comment hasn't aged well. Um, <laughs> and then just finished out, other than Walker... Why? I don't know his exclamation mark. Why? I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, it must be Nicky Walker. I'm assuming it? so, yeah. It's a very strong team. Maybe I would have Callum on the bench and either Hogg or BT at eight. Um, interesting that that bit you, uh, that piece, Al, you finished by saying overall an exciting team, team and a hint of the future. Um, in a previous piece, I predicted Scotland to win and having seen the team, I stick by that. I just hope I'm right. Uh, Scotland lost six points to 27. <laughs> Close. And thus began Al's career as a pundit. I, absolutely. And I, I like to think I've kept that level of quality and success up ever since. I, I will say, though, I, I think at those points I was doing, a, a, um, a, for the predictions, I was doing head, heart, and arse. And I do <laughs> think that my arse predictions have been pretty close to the uh, mark, actually, for a fairly consistent period. So, you know. You cover your bases. Yeah, don't predict with don't predict with your head or your heart, people. Um, Use your arse. <laughs> any other commenters or comments that stand out for either of you that you can recall? Um, not really. I mean, I was I was having a look, and it, it was quite uh, it was quite interesting to see. I mean, there is there are far too many comments to go through. Um, there's about nine hundred and eighty pages of comments now um, to 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 look through. But it's interesting that the first first or the last 50 pages of comments are were from you know the first first four years between 07 and the world cup in 11 and then there's about 930 pages of comments since 2011 so it was it was a very lonely first four years for us us and johnny and uh, and a couple of a couple of others um i mean obviously it probably should this might be a good point to to mention our uh, our former colleague alan dimmick who, who came on board um sort of kind of four years either side of, of 2011 I think um, probably more in fact and uh, and he really you know he really helped kick the kick the blog on in terms of of getting it out there and um, getting it to the stage where you know the Scotsman would make articles based on quotes that he'd got in, in his posts and things like you know the the highlight of any any independent media's media um, career yeah i think i joined in 2012 i think so not that i'm you know claiming any um responsibility for the comments going up uh but yeah <laughs> um i remember once those are those golden years yeah i remember once being quoted in the scotsman for something i wrote uh taking the mick out of the fact that they'd renamed it bt murrayfield i think it was my article where i tried to argue it should be called the bt thunderdome um, and for some reason, it's got, it, it, I was in there. As not everybody is happy about this. Cammy, Cameron Black writing on the Scottish Rugby blog said, and then there was some withering put down I'd, I'd put in just as an afterthought on a lunchtime. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
uh, the most commented articles, which I think we can't go that far back in time, Rory, because of our reporting software, but um, they are um, my article on Shug Blake and Regulation 8, which that mm. went down a very dark hole very quickly. Um, <laughs> it, I think you could pretty much, if you wanted to encapsulate um, Brexit in an argument about rugby regulations, um, it's, that's probably a good starting point. Um, there's the 2017 Wales v Scotland player ratings and then um, a, a fairly innocuous article about Ross Ford and Richie Gray being cited during Rugby World Cup. Oh no, Johnny Gray being cited during the last Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a fair mix of articles. Um, I, I, is there anything yeah, you think that prompts people to comment more, apart from, um, you know, people do get on the high horse about um, Regulation 8, but apart from that, is there anything that you think that sort of prompts more comments than others well i mean it's a, it's a, it's something we, we kind of look into um you know that's why we we're sort of, we try we're not trying to uh trying to to um go go where the market is but it's interesting to know what people are uh which i think it would be clear from looking for looking at the website <laughs> but um it's interesting to know what uh what people are, are looking at and i think i mean there's a couple of the i think your um your zero player ratings was just um for the Calcutta Cup was a bit of clickbait because that got shared heaps and that's why it had so much traffic because there were loads of um, quite big rugby accounts sharing it and saying what a disgrace it was. Yeah, I, I, it had an entire Reddit thread um, dedicated to it, which and I, I'm, I'm, I'm an old person. I don't, well, I'm over 35, so I don't understand Reddit. <laughs> I, tried to, I don't either, no. Yeah, it just seems to be like message boards that I used to be on back in 2005. Yeah, yeah. As far as I can tell, and the kids have just reinvented it and called it something cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything in particular that that uh, I think it seems to be controversy. Certainly, it's the one, and you know, it's have a, have a pop at the Welsh or have a pop at the Scottish players for not running up against the English, or have a pop at the foreigners or something. I don't know. I mean, the the uh, the. It's the articles where there's a good excuse for an argument seems to seem to attract attract the, the comments and yeah, righteous indignation yeah. is usually a good one to get people to yeah. their keyboards. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. I think it is it is a proven fact, isn't it, that the most trolls we get are Welsh. Um, why why do you think that is, Al? Um, it's all the mining. Um, <laughs> it just attracts um, Canaries, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, most read articles um, I'll move on quickly um, I don't want my timeline on Twitter getting fed, uh, filled up again um, f- uh, most read articles uh, quite similar we've got the Ford and Gray citing after the Rugby World Cup uh, game against Samoa which I think was just everybody was just desperately hand-wringing and waiting for news um, I, I suspect just lots of people just sat there clicking refresh on that page in the hope that we would update it um, Second was Scotland versus Australia um, at the the quarter final. Um, that's um, that's in up for a nomination actually in our awards. I think is one of the um, top moments um, in uh, the last ten years. Um, and the third is yeah, that's the time I gave everybody zero in the player ratings. Um, but I'll, um, you you came up with the system for player ratings. Um, I think we've talked about it previously. I mean, is it, what he invented it? That's why he's. That's why he's, he he never gets as much of a chance to write because he's so rich from inventing player ratings. <laughs> player ratings, yeah, it that's is, it, is, <laughs> it is. Every time somebody rates a player, you get pay, you you get commission. 
I, I did that in the five star rating for movies, and I'm, to be honest, I'm calling in from my yacht, and it's uh, fantastic. <laughs> Have you sued the guys from Rotten Tomatoes yet? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean that's going through the court, so there's only only so much you can talk about, obviously, but they, they know their day is coming. <laughs> but you, I mean, you sort of came up with the system that we use um, in the. I think six is the average, isn't it? Is am I right? Six is the starting point. Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you start from there, and then you tally up or you tally down, depending on how they're going. And yeah, you know, I think we have discussed this on a previous previous podcast, and it does tend to irk people. I think people go, "Oh, six is six is not particularly good." But I mean, everybody goes on the pitch as average, and then they have to actually prove it. You, you, I think you see sometimes, <clears throat> you know, and it's not just for rugby. You, you know, look at the papers, but you see sometimes as well with you know football scores and whatnot, and this. The name players, regardless of what they do, that's it. They, they they get scored on their reputation. So, I think we've gone with the the six, and then you you work your way up or down from there as a way of trying to take reputations out of it, shall we say, and have a bit of a an equal balance. Except unless you're Ross Ford, then you don't move up or down. You just stay as a six and and be happy for it. Well, you say that now. I, in order to do the awards, I had to go through um, the player ratings, and Ross Ford wasn't as consistently six as we thought um i haven't got them in front of me um but he he had quite a few sevens unexpectedly um i don't know who'd given him the sevens um but he, he did they not get the memo no maybe not no they they, they didn't get the uh, briefing note that you leave the rules al's rules start on a six ross ford cannot score more than this <laughs> I could build it into the. We've got a template to. I could build it into that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you could just have Hooker Ross Ford two, even if Fraser Brown's playing. <laughs> um, but yeah, he wasn't the most consistent player. Um, which again, will that'll be on the awards show? Um, which I think I'm, is going to go out after this um, now with scheduling. But yeah, he, he wasn't actually the most consistent player. And um, when you worked it out, and the way that we worked it out was to take out the time I gave everybody zeros. And then just take out everybody that had ever got less than a six, apart from the zero. So, and there were only two players um, that were actually eligible for it, so it was quite interesting. Um, but Rory, can you remember what, what's the worst score do you think you've ever given? Or have you ever done the player ratings? I've done them um, once or twice. I, t- I mean, I t- tend to be doing the match report, so I, um, I haven't. There's been a few occasions where I've done uh, player ratings, but not very often, I would say. I've probably, I would say probably, a, I'm trying to think who I would have given a three, but maybe a four. Scott Lawson, game destroyer. Surely he's got a three Scott or a four Lawson, somewhere Matt, in there. Assassin, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Al, is that yours? Scott Lawson, do you think he's probably the person you've scored the lowest? Oh, but did, but Scott, yeah, probably. I mean, did Scott Lawson not almost single-handedly lose the um, that game against Wales where we were winning about two minutes from it and then he managed to get himself yellow-carded for... He came on and I just remember him being... I, I blame him. and Whether that's fair or not, I blame him. So I'm sure he yeah, must probably have a stinker. He wasn't even on the park or something. <laughs> Unbe- probably. Unbelievably, he's still turning out for Newcastle Falcons, I saw the other day. Go on, Scott. Yes. <laughs> it's where... Uh, uh, so is Ali Hogg. In fact, most... Most of the players from the first four years of this blog are all playing for Newcastle Falcons now. It's where, yeah, it's where Scottish rugby careers go to die. Um, Can you die twice? I don't know. Well, John, that and Worcester. John Welsh hasn't played since moving there. There you go. It's conclusive proof. 
Yes. <laughs> right, we're going to do another. I'm going to try this. This is a, the new setup, so we're going to try another jingle now. Let's go. It worked. Uh, Rory and Al can't hear that, but it, it, it did work. Uh, it's time for Hands in the Rock. Um, so, uh, guys, I'm just going to ask you for your biggest Hands in the Rock for the past 10 years, Al. What's 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 had its hands in your rock the most in the last 10 years? It's a big question, isn't it? You know, what is the thing that has probably gripped my gears? Because that's what I'm going to go to for the last 10 years. Um, uh Let's see. Oh, I need, can I pick a more than a single moment? You can do. Yeah, yeah. Side? You can go. You can do more. We've got time. I'm trying to think. I think it's probably just consistent underperforming at World Cups. I mean, you take the last World Cup out of it, but every World Cup, every Six Nations, just consistently underperforming in tournaments. Because Rory mentioned, it, I think earlier on, you know, we 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 do the autumn internationals we do well we invariably turn over you know australia or somebody half decent in the, the autumn internationals we all sit and go oh, this is it here we go here comes the six nations uh, and then it's like the clown car comes out the doors fall off wheels go trundling down into the behind the try line and and you know the, the optimism generally ends or has generally ended you know five minutes after the season has started world cups likewise you think this is going to be great and then we go out you know in Vercargo, we we struggle to victories against romania of which included mossy falling flat in his backside trying to convert a tribe um yeah it's i just think those years have just ground so many of us down that i actually it's made these brighter moments of the last 18 months all the better so it's a bit of a holistic grinding my gears it's the um the hope that kills you i'm kind of done with hope i would quite like to just have sort of realistic expectations that are (laughs) you know pleasant rather than sort of just consigning myself to defeat so i think we're there just about um, this year is going to be our year in the Six Nations. We're going to root, we're going to beat New Zealand this new November, and then we're going to sweep all in front of us and get a Grand Slam come the spring. But um, yeah, I think continuing crushing of my hope would be my grinding of the gears that probably sums up the last ten years. Is that prediction? Largely. Is that prediction for Six Nations in the Autumn Test? Is that a head, heart, or an ass prediction? That 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 is arse because um, <laughs> because I mean head head is you know that we will we'll, 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 we'll maybe just draw no I mean head is that uh, I don't know I I think we're due New Zealand I have a, I have a warm fuzzy feeling about New Zealand this year I reckon we're going to get a clean sweep careful now you'll be in the Scotsman tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> I have been I have been offended many times Rory but never. Never, never such to such a level. <laughs> I shall never darken their doors. Uh, Rory, what what has had its hands in your rock the most in the last ten years? Um, I mean, yeah, it's not really, probably not, not really anything uh, particularly to do with to do with Scotland. Um, but yeah, just the fact that we were we were complaining about squint feeds at the scrum and referees being just not very good. Ten years ago, and we're still complaining about the referees. 
Um, I mean, the the standard of officiating Pro 14 is on a steady downward curve, even as you know, even as the Scottish teams are going on a going an upward curve. So I would say maybe um, hands in the ruck for the last ten years would be not being able to produce a decent um, Scottish referee for um, for a good few years. I mean, we've got a few coming through now who Mike Adams and Mike kick on. He's he's starting to get some uh, some bigger games. So so here's hoping. But uh, yeah, refereeing standards in general and uh, Scottish refereeing in particular. That's a good call. Um, I'm going to uh, my hands in the ruck is calls for a third pro team. Um, just just let it die. It's not going to happen. There's not the money there. Wales are struggling with four regions and a thinly spread player base. It's, it's not going to happen. I think we should just start um, blocking all comments about it. To be honest, what uh, what if they offer to host in Berwick? Uh, that would well. I'm 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 starting a secret campaign to get Berwick um, to uh, become one of the Super Six because I think that's what should happen. Okay. <laughs> See, Cam, I would I, I would disagree with you just to be contrary because that was actually when we were discussing earlier on around you know ten years from now, what is a sign of success or what are the signs of success for Scottish rugby? That to me is one of those signs because we we have to get to my mind we do have to get a third professional team. Um, it's the only way that we're going to be able to to continue to build out the pool because whilst the Super Six and you know I'm sure Berwick will will excel from the Super Six. Um, hey, the SRU are looking to invest in an English club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, you know I do think that that's. You know that will only take players to a certain level. They need to have a bridging gap, you know, a bridging step between that and um, you know international level. If we're really going to build out the international pool in the way that I think we would like to, and I do think, you know, to me, a third pro team, and and it's how you get the investment for that. I agree, that's an expensive proposition, but you know, I don't believe in the next ten years that's you know as Scottish rugby grows, you know, you you look at the size of the sponsorship deals are now starting to get and resecure again with the likes of BT, etc. You know, success begets success, and um, you know. I think if the national team is able to get to that level of success and Glasgow continue to do it and Edinburgh finally get their act together, there should be more money coming into the game that not just can be invested into grassroots, but can also be invested into a, a more um, you know, competitive professional structure. And I, I, I think if we are going to kick on, we need to have that. Because you can see how at Ireland, you, know, you, you pointed out the Wales, but you can look at Ireland and look at the competitiveness of the... the the, the provinces there, you know, Connacht were a joke for many years, but look how they've come on. And, and at least they always had another team to allow them, some of those players to 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 get that experience and that exposure. Um, so I would disagree, sir, with your hands in the well, rock, just to be contrary. Yours is a very pragmatic, well-reasoned argument. I think the, the issue I have is with the none so the, the the people that are demanding it now i think that's that's more the issue i have yeah and i think I, my worry would i think it, it, it should be an aspiration i completely agree with you i think it is something we scotland should be aiming for in the long term my worry is i think that particularly in france and england there's a lot of clubs paying a lot of money and who are who are running up quite huge debts based on the promise of tv money that's there at the minute but 
you know, you just think if that TV money ever dries up, and it didn't, it did in Super League when Sky just stopped, you know, um, paying for it, and the likes of Bradford folded and Castleford struggled, and and you just don't want to see that happening to 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 in Union either. And I think I, I don't think it will happen in Scotland, but I, I can see certainly I could see clubs in England going under. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of these um, it's one of these things. There's a lot of people that want it because they recognise that Scotland perhaps needs it, but I don't think doing it when you need it is going to is going to work because they did it when they needed it at the start of professionalism and it didn't work. I think the time for a uh, a third pro team will be to do it when you can do it rather than when you need to do it because we're always going to need to do it. Um, but yeah, they ha- they have to wait till. Till the you know till the off the back of the success of the other two, so if Glasgow maintain their level of success and Edinburgh get up to that level of success, and the game as a whole is massively popular in Scotland, then there will be there will be the demand for it, there, and then, you know and there will be the money for it. Um, just doing it for the sake of doing it, yeah, I I agree is is not particularly sound practice, and you know has come unstuck in the past. Um, I've, I've just to round off. Then I mean, I've asked you predictions for what would look good for Glasgow and Ember in the next ten years. But uh, what, what, I suppose, what's your head, heart, and arse saying about Scotland in the next ten years? I think the 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 near to medium future for all three of those <laughs> selections looks looks pretty pretty you know pretty positive. You know, I I think you can look to the next four to five years and you look at the age of a good you know good amount of that Scotland side they will still be playing and they will still be getting better and there is you know genuinely some world class or certainly at least one world class player in that fifth starting 15 and hog but you've got more than that you know they are there are proper international standard where do we go after that I think that's the telling point it's 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 continuing I think the success that this team will give us I mean there's an outside chance I would suggest in the next four to five years of a Grand Slam I think that's on the cards because I think they have all the bits of doing that Um, you know I think the pieces are there you need the luck to go with that Um, and maybe Tooney will prove to be a bit of a lucky coach sometimes you need that you know you need things to fall on your your lap it's how they build on you know what success does come um, uh, is the interesting pit and it's that longer term future um, 10 years from now um, for the national side I think if they are have been able to see some of the older guard drop out and, and ha- have a bit of a um, a conveyor belt of talent coming through it will mean then that the, the work that's been done to get them there will be sustainable and that's where Scotland needs to be we, we're never going to have a huge playing pool so we need to continue to maximise that way that we have um, so I think for us you know success will be the occasional Six Nations um, you know semi-final of a World Cup I don't think it's definitely not beyond us um, and then you know actually beyond that then again it's luck of the draw could we win the World Cup in you know 10 years time who knows? Maybe. Um, why not? Aim high. You need the luck of a draw. Um, probably avoid New Zealand. But after that, there's not many other teams out there that you you know 
if Scotland continue to progress, you would really be that scared of. So there we go. I want the next 10 years success should be three grand slams in a World Cup. <laughs> and, and that's probably hard. <laughs> and, and Rory, what, I mean, for you, I mean, um, Al's mentioned Gregor Townsend there. I mean, he's a young coach. Do you think he's still going to be there in 10 years? I'd be quite surprised. That's, I mean, that's that's a little bit beyond the the kind of uh, the career span of most international coaches, um, possibly with the exception of maybe um, Gatland, who's been at Wales for for a long time. Um, possibly to their detriment. I'd, yeah, I'd like. I mean, you know, I'd like to see. We've got uh, World Cup in 2019, 2023, So by the time we've we've put another ten years on this, that you know, that's three World Cups. Um, I think Townsend, one of his reasons for wanting the Scotland job now was to work with this generation of players, which is certainly the best generation, you know, the best group of players that we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, and probably, to be honest, going going back a fair fair bit before that, probably until about 1999 um, in, terms of, in terms of talent. So... Is is twenty nineteen going to be the going to be the one, or is he going to stick around maybe to twenty twenty three and have it and have a serious tilt? I mean, some of the backs might be coming towards the end of their uh, towards you know tail end of their careers by that point, but um, some of them will be you know some of the forwards, the, the young forwards now will, will be hitting their prime. So I think we probably we've got we should have we should have some good some good years ahead of us hopefully. I'll make a prediction for you, Rory. So Townsend will take us through to 2020. Rennie will pick up after him. He'll do two years, and then post that, it'll be Mike Blair that will be running the team. Mike, that. Mike Blair in 2023 in, in Ireland. Yeah. Blair 23. Yeah. We'll, we'll start making the T-shirts Hashtag. now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that seems as good point as any. Um, it's a fairly low point. Um as is our want uh, to end it on. Um, so um, you can, don't forget to get in touch with us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. Uh, leave some comments on the uh, blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk and we'll read those out on the podcast. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, which I always forget, but I think it's something like Scott Scottish Rugby Blog or Scott Rugby Blog, Rory. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, just Google it, it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> we are going to put out a second part to this, which will be our awards show. Um, we've got some very, very special guests on that, so keep an eye out for that. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us some reviews, um, or Apple Podcasts, I think as it's called now. We are no longer on SoundCloud. We are now on Audioboom. Um, if you check out the uh, blog, you can find out details of how to subscribe on other platforms as well. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and Al. Goodbye. Goodbye. What happens these days, of course, is that no, no, long, no longer can you just be a broadcaster. Everybody has to have a blog. No matter who you are, how low down the pecking order you may be, you have to have a blog. And